You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Tuesday afternoon, if you want to call in, phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. That's how you join into the show. Once again, 334-321-1390. Also, find us on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. Levi, how you doing today, buddy? Doing really good today. Enjoying being back for the second day this week. And, you know, took that long vacation. I am back. I'm ready to go. It just, I couldn't get enough yesterday. I didn't want to leave. I was just excited. I was like, man, I just want to stay and keep talking sports with you. And it came back at the right time. We had so much Auburn stuff to talk about yesterday. We got plenty of stuff to talk about today. The sports world is not barren right now. We've got everything. I mean, the KBO is back today. The NC Dinos, who got everybody through that pandemic, you know, playing baseball in Korea at 4 a.m. First, you said KBO, and I'm like, what is that? And then I went through the acronym, and I was like, oh, Korean baseball organization. The one sport that was playing during the pandemic last year that worked well for me because they were, you know, Opening pitch was around the time I was about to start going to bed so I could watch a nice KBO baseball game, then go to bed around like 6, 7 a.m. because I'm not working at that time. It's a pandemic. I'm just, I'm going back to high school, Levi, during the summer and staying up all night doing whatever and just watching a little Korean baseball. And shout out to the NC Dinos, that awesome trophy, the sword. I'm excited to get back into watching some Korean baseball. You're awesome, man. Happy to have you back. (laughs) Happy to have you back. I will not be watching the Korean baseball organization because there are American sports playing. We actually have sports playing again. (laughs) Major League Baseball is playing, and they just started their season. They're only 16 games in or so. The times don't conflict. If you want to wake up at 4 a.m. and watch, I mean... I work a day job, Levi. (laughs) I can't watch the Korean baseball organization, and I really don't have much of an appetite or a desire to do so. (laughs) Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Still going to be talking a little bit about A-Day, going through some rankings here, some lists that we've got for you now that we've had another day to chew on what we saw over the weekend. We'll be ranking the most important ways Auburn can improve before the start of the regular season. Also going to be talking about Alan Flanagan making his announcement today that he is returning to the Plains for year number three under head coach Bruce Pearl. Alan Flanagan not opting to go through the draft process. I never really felt felt like there was danger that Alan Flanagan could be taking the step to the next level, but I thought that why not just go through the draft process and get some valuable information, but he's opting to not do that. He did make his announcement that he will be returning to the Plains We'll also talk about LSU's quarterback competition. We got Christian Page of CoverOne.net as well with us on the show today to talk some NFL draft coverage. We've got a packed show for you guys today, and that's just hour number one that I just went through. We got a lot on the lineup for you guys today. Let's start it off going into the offseason, talking Auburn A-Day here or just Auburn football in a holistic sense as we go into the dead period of the offseason, going into the offseason now rank the most important ways 
Auburn can improve before the start of the regular season. I ranked it one through three. I have tallied up three ways in which Auburn can improve before the start of the regular season from least important to most important. But let's reverse that and let's go most important to least important instead. That's that's good. I think that makes more sense. I'm having a lot of trouble trying to find the third one. Like I feel like I'm more or less splitting hairs at that point. I, I didn't have any issue with I, this. I, I couldn't find the third. The third one was the one for me that was a little bit of trouble. They're all offensive. I mean, yeah, I have my, no beef with the defense at the moment. That's all I was saying. Like, it's, it's all it's, on offense. It's offense for what I'm thinking of. But, I mean, my number one, I assume it's probably the same number one. If not, I think our one and two would probably be the same. I've got the offensive line. I mean, it, it's. I went still, more in depth than the offensive line. What'd you go I with? I said on? pass blocking. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like the run blocking didn't seem too bad. Like it, it did seem a, just okay. as good as it was last year, which is a B plus, A yeah. minus run blocking, I think, in the SEC. And that's and I fair. expect it to get better with more chemistry and a new downhill running scheme. I expect the Auburn run blocking to, if anything, improve this year. It, it, I, yeah. it was solid last year. And they looked good at A Day, you know, blocking, you know, doing a run block. But it was against the second team. Yes. But it's, it's nice that you actually looked good at doing that against the second team on the flip side you didn't look very good pass blocking against the second team which is something that you really need to improve on and that was that was the big problem last year everybody blames the offensive line for a lot of struggles that we're having and they'll they're quick to point to them but it was more it was more of the passing block the pass blocking side of things like that's where a lot of this offensive line that's where all the problems started to come from simply for the fact that Bo Nix was running for his life every play, and you saw a little bit of that during A-Day where he's getting flushed out of the pocket because they weren't pass blocking, again, against the second-team defensive line. So, most important to us, pass blocking here, and that will lead me down the list because quarterback play is going to be my second one, and I think they're closely linked, so we can trend this discussion in that way, but... Pass blocking for me, I felt like Bo Nix had to move just a little bit too much, especially considering he was playing the second team defense. And I'm having a hard time believing that Auburn's pass rush, especially down the depth chart to the two deep and to the backups, has really substantially improved leaps and bounds just over a period of the spring. Auburn's transfers, Auburn's guys that they're bringing in, like Eku Leota and Joko Willis, those guys coming in, they're pass rushers for the future here. They're not on campus yet. Eculiota should play a big part in Auburn's pass rush when the new season rolls around. He's someone that really hasn't been talked about a whole lot through the spring. I guess that's just because he's not on campus yet. But Auburn didn't add a whole lot to the defensive line or the, or, or the pass rush group during the spring so I'm not going to sit here and believe that a group that was pretty underwhelming last year at doing that last uh, last season I'm not going to sit here and believe that this year just all of a sudden through the spring that they're going to be leaps and bounds ahead of that mark so much so that the backups could be able to generate pressure easily against Auburn's first team offensive line felt like Bo Nix had to maneuver himself around too much to evade pressure and I think we saw his completion percentage suffer just a tad for it as well, sitting at 12 for 20 overall on the day after being 10 for 13 at the, after the first half. I think it did make things look a little bit more difficult on the offensive side of the ball for Bo Nix. On top of that, a large portion of his completions, at least a substantial portion of his completions, at least a quarter, I would bet, were on screen passes. 
I mean, yeah, they, I mean, they threw a lot of screen passes yesterday. So as far as accuracy is concerned for Bo Nix, which I don't think is after watching Bo Nix play, I felt like he made good throws, and I don't feel like he played poorly under pressure, but I do think that the pass rush had something to do with Bo Nix being a less accurate passer on Saturday. And we didn't really get to see a lot of we didn't get to see a lot of throws that are going to actually, you know, showcase has this offense really improved. There wasn't a lot of downfield and even like intermediate passing options. So you didn't really get to see did they improve? And the times that you did see it, most of the time, the second team defensive line was generating a pretty decent pass rush. And that's it, it's weird to say when uh, we're ranking this and we're saying that like quarterback play is probably going to need to improve. That's one of the ones on this list. But it's closely connected they're to just, pass blocking. Yeah, they're so tethered. And that's why I said pass blocking is the most important. Because Bo Nix I, becomes yes. a more effective passer if they're able to give him some time to throw. As would any quarterback if you're it's just obvious there's there's no question that Bo Nix has talent it's just the fact that can he have the time to showcase said talent because if you're getting rushed every time you're not going to be able to do that you're going to be running for your life you're going to be throwing off of your back foot and having to throw in the run more often instead of just setting your feet planting and throwing a strike which that's important it's important to not have that and we know about this defensive line it's the same players as last year once again, uh, I go back to... Don't forget to, about J.J. Pegues. That's true. That is true. And he looked good. He was after Bonex a couple of times. That is fair. He does add solid depth at the defensive tackle very, position. Very solid. He Very solid mass. But for the I most still part. Yes, move for forward the, with this. For the most part. The new guys aren't on campus yet. No. Lee Hunter, that is a new player that is on campus. And I thought he looked good too, but... Is he that much better than the as a freshman? Is he that much better? And he and he doesn't have to be that much better because once again he is a freshman. All you're asking Lee Hunter to do is be a role piece on the defensive line, a role guy on the defensive line. He's, you're not asking him to be the star. It'd be great if he was the star because that'd be awesome for the future of the defensive line. But you're asking guys like Tyrone Truesdale and Derek Hall to be the star, the stars of the defensive line because they've been in the program for so long, and, and you know what you've got with the defensive line so I don't and what we watched from them last year they weren't world beaters they, they were not a top six unit in the SEC they were average at best last season and that's not good enough and so and maybe they have improved a little bit throughout the spring because I'm high up on this defensive staff I think they've got some really great minds starting at the top with Derek Mason and he's going to generate some things scheme wise that is going to confuse quarterbacks and help out the pass rush. It's going to be a much more intricate defensive game plan than what Auburn has put on film over the last couple of years. It's going to be a lot more intricate. It's going to be a, a lot more disguised blitzes. You're no longer just going to be in the 4-2-5 from a scheme perspective. You're going to see shifting rounds of formations and different fronts. I love that. And that's going to help out the defense, but I still think what you – what. Auburn is not that far removed from last season. By the time you get to the regular season, could this defensive line be substantially improved? Yes. Leaps and bounds from where it was last year? 100%. But you're, right only, now, nope. you're only a couple of months removed from what we saw in the bowl game on January 1st, right? You're, yeah. <laughs> you're, only, you're, you're only three months away from that. I, I don't believe that that three-month peri- three period changed things. And so I'm if we know what you've got on the defensive side of the ball, which was for the most part average last year in SEC play, it's not a good sign that the offensive line 
struggled with it at times. So I, I would say that that's the most glaring issue on the offensive side of the ball. And then I would imagine your number two is quarterback play as well. Yeah, and I mean, just well, looking at the list now, it, it kind of they all kind of go hand in hand for me because I'm sitting there looking at offensive line and pass protection. I'm looking at quarterback consistency and improvement and then it's the last one wide receivers wide receiver yeah, like it's, it's just consistent wide receiver i was play. a lot more specific i think you went with position groups i went with yeah specific ways that those position groups need to improve i can go with i can go with a little bit of consistency or a little bit more in-depth and wide receiver is you need more than one guy to step up that's yeah. one that i'm like kobe hudson has to play better that's that's an obvious one for me you need like canyon looked really good but we saw last year when Auburn was kind of one-dimensional with receivers. What happens when you shut Seth Williams down? It's easy Williams to take down? that guy out of the game. What happens when you're going up against a J.C. Horn at South Carolina? You, you, you look lost out there because nobody else is stepping yep. up. So you're going to have to have – you need production. Like you actually have to have – and that's not even just receivers. That goes down to tight ends and even running backs. It's just pass-catching abilities. Anybody who's out there catching passes, you need more guys to step up than just – a guy like Canyon did in, in Ada. Like you're just gonna have to have it's it you don't have it's a, a team effort. You don't have a receiver out here who is like a Mike Evans was in college. Like you don't have that superstar. You don't even have a Seth Williams out no, there right like now. You, you just don't have a a true alpha guy right now. So you can't like you can't rely on a guy like that. You have to no, you can't. it has to be a committee. Trust me, approach. Elijah Canyon will not be a difficult receiver if opposing teams want to key in on if yes. opposing teams want to key in on one receiver right now in this Auburn wide receiver room, it will not be difficult to take them out of a ball game. No, not at all. And that's and that's nothing they're, against Elijah Canyon. But and that's, that's nothing against Auburn receivers. That's they're just, young. It's hard. It's hard to some of the best receivers when they get locked down and get you know even they become ineffective. Like Seth just, Williams is a good example. That's just how that's that's just literally how yeah. what happens sometimes when you lock somebody down like that. But yeah, I want to back up to quarterback play yes. for a second. Because we got, we got we've hammered home the Bo Nix point for two days now about the guy's got to be better against pressure, the guy's got to be more accurate, blah, 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 blah. Mostly, the mostly, the accurate, days. mostly accurate downfield and intermediate. Short's, yes. short's fine, but it's just and it's just downfield and intermediate plays. Outside of Bo Nix, a big area of concern for Auburn football moving forward in quarterback play is depth. Auburn is in trouble if Bo Nix goes down with an injury. If Bo Nix gets hurt, Auburn is in trouble. Grant Lloyd didn't look good at all. Demetrius Davis looked solid when he was running the football, and he made a really nice throw down to the sideline. Very impressed with what Demetrius Davis did on that one pass to the sideline, the back shoulder throw. I thought Demetrius Davis looked the best out of all the backups, but still the question with Demetrius Davis is, is he ready to operate an offense also the other question about it is why was Demetrius Davis in a third string role why was he taking so few snaps in the A-Day game why did Grant Loy play for so long what does that tell us about the Auburn pecking order as Brian Harson would call it what does that tell us for me that tells me that there's a clear order it's Bo Nix, Grant Loy, and then Demetrius Davis because Grant Loy, like we already went through with the stats yesterday, quadrupled him in attempts. It It's reminiscent to me of what you see a lot in, at the next level in the NFL where you will have your starting quarterback and then you have two guys. You'll have like a young guy that might have been drafted that, honestly, probably more talented 
than a veteran backup. You just want a guy who's older, who you trust maybe a little bit more to run the offense. Maybe not as talented, but like think of some of those Josh McCown, Luke McCown type of guys. Who, These guys were still fine though. They could win a game if they had to get in. If they had to be inserted into a football game, they yeah, could win. No, yeah, I mean, I remember proving that. I think that's a little bit different. That's true. Yeah, if like, Grant Lloyd gets inserted into a football game, you don't Auburn's, have, Auburn's losing. I think that's true. I mean, like I just so so I and I know I sound harsh right now, but if we're backing this up to quarterback play and ways in which that it can improve, I think depth is a major concern. That's, Maybe that's it's fair. time yeah. to invest in Demetrius Davis. I know all we've seen is the spring game, but that's why I asked that question. Why is Grant Lloyd getting the majority of the reps? Is I Auburn wish I not, knew. <laughs> is Auburn not confident in Demetrius Davis at this point? That's that's what I'm trying to get at right here is what does that tell us about the pecking order at this point? Because I think in my eyes, if I'm looking at what's after Bo Nix right now, I'm thinking Auburn's season's over if Bo Nix got hurt. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Because, um, and it might, it might be time to invest in, in the young guy that at least showed some potential on Saturday. Because I think you have to. Because he made to. some good throws. And he looked comfortable running the football. And, Brian, and you might be able to engineer some offense out of that. And Brian Harson is he's done very well. He has a track record with quarterbacks. And he does have a lot of spread tendencies in his more pro-style offense. So he could – I have faith that Brian Harson and even Mike Bobo could step in and, you know, like tailor – like they could transition this offense and, you know, adjust it to what Demetrius Davis brings to the table, you know, next year if he is, you know, say Bo Nix isn't here and you want to invest in a young guy like Demetrius Davis, like, I think that's fine. And I think down the road, I feel like that makes more sense. Like, Grant like Grant Lloyd's not the future. Demetrius Davis could be. I'm not saying yeah. he is. I'm just saying he's a young guy who is uber, uber, like, very, very athletic. Like he's, he's the only guy on the quarterback depth chart right now that represents any type of future for Auburn football. Yes, like, he's the other than Bo, yes. I mean obviously Bo Nix is the present but I mean after Bo Nix there's only one guy on this depth chart at the moment till Holden Jariner gets here that represents some type of future but we got to get to a break here Shane I see that you dropped off the phone line give us a call back we'd love to hear from you we'll be back in just a moment here more of on the line on the other side of this break you're on the line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama here with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Find us on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. Number to call 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Once again, phone lines are open 334-321-1390. Open for the next eight minutes or so. And then we'll have Christian Page of CoverOne.net to talk some NFL draft stuff with us today. We'll have him on the line with us once again coming up at 2.30. Still continuing on with our discussion on important ways Auburn can improve before the start of the regular season and just wrapping up that conversation here because we've gone through pass blocking we just talked about quarterback play and more importantly I feel like depth after Bo Nix because Bo Nix is serviceable Bo Nix is a top five quarterback in the SEC I feel like going into this year and I, and I think they will be able to get the pieces around him performing at the level they need to in order for Bo Nix to at least appear to be a top five quarterback in the SEC you put a lot of quarterbacks in Auburn's system right now but JT Daniels you put I mean JT Daniels wasn't overly successful at USC when he was there you put Connor Pazelak you put Matt Corral you put some of the top returners in this offense they'll have a hard time succeeding too they'll, they'll lose four or five games it's not even the system as much as it's just yeah, the it's fact not that the system anymore it was the system in then, the past yes. but I mean the players around them yeah now you have put them behind that offensive line you put them Throw into those receivers, he's in trouble. Yeah, you put it. 
you put Tom Brady behind a line like that, and he's going to struggle. Like, that's just how it is. You're not. He's not very mobile. He's not very mobile. Right, Remember yeah. that. Like, he might actually struggle yeah, a little bit. It might bit. send him into retirement. You're not wrong. Last, last thing here on the most important ways Auburn can improve before the start of the regular season. Number three on our list, and it's connected to all of these. The offense is all interconnected right now in ways that they can improve. And it starts at the top with pass blocking. Then it goes into quarterback play. More importantly, the depth, I think, for Auburn. Just a lot of concerns there after Bo Nix if he were to go down with injury. And then number three here, all-around receiver skills. You pointed out specific receivers that need to improve as a team effort. I didn't think about it that way, but that is so true. If only one receiver ends up turning into a go-to guy or a bailout guy, teams will pick up on that tendency relatively early. And there's four games to pick up on that before Auburn gets to SEC play. Teams like Georgia and LSU can take advantage of that, bracket a receiver, take them completely out of a football game, and then Bonex could be in trouble. For me, all-around receiver skills means they've got to improve in route running to get open, and then also hands. A lot of drop passes on oh, Saturday. So and it wasn't drops. just receivers. Running backs were dropping passes as well. Maybe I should have just said the receivers. The slides. Anybody that could catch a football, yes. they need to get better at route running and catching the football. And I, I think that is across the board. That is just a that is a sweeping indictment of Auburn right now in their passing game. Overall, pretty underwhelming offensive performance for me at 8A, but that was what I said would happen on Friday. You were listening to the show. You heard me say it. said on Friday, expect the offense to not look good. Yeah, and I mean, they did that, look good. That was expected. I mean, it, are we disappointed still? Yes. But it makes it easier when you're expecting that. You're adding a new system in that has only been in play for you know what like a month that they've really been able to do that I mean it hasn't been a long time so you can't expect them to come out firing on all no. cylinders when, anything the defense was just going to be able to tee off on them yeah and I mean the defense had a lot the, the defense also had to transition but it's is a lot less of a transition than what the offense had to do and like defensive schemes changing are slightly easier or I would say they're very they're very much easier than transitioning from an offense, especially the difference that's going. Because Auburn's going from a pure spread offense to more of a pro-style multiple set offense that you're running. And you can't expect that, but you said it you said it very well. They have to catch the ball. Like you had a lot of drops that are just it's it's spring. I get it, but if you start doing that come not even SEC play, you start doing that at the beginning of the year, you're gonna have some issues. You can't go up and play Penn State and be dropping the ball. Like, yeah, Penn State was underwhelming last year. They weren't that good. If Auburn goes on the road and they play like that, like you're not going to end up winning that football game. And then what's that say for your season after that? You lose a game like that, you are you start kind of spiraling, and the next thing you know, you could snowball and you could be out of it early on in the year. Switching gears to Auburn basketball now, an announcement made today by Alan Flanagan announcing his decision to return to the Plains. Well, this gives us another chance to talk about Auburn's basketball roster for next year, which is just a fun thing to talk about when you talk about how much talent did, is on this team, even right now. But did you see Joe Lenardi's way too early bracketology? Ridiculous. An ridiculous. Eight, an eight seed? Ridiculous. Like I, I mean, That's what I was forgetting to put into the rundown. I saw that earlier. And I even liked the tweet to, to bookmark it and remember. Eights and eight seed. <sighs> yeah. They had Virginia as a nine seed. Like I, look, I, Virginia wasn't very good. Like They were underwhelming last year, but I'm the biggest Virginia hater. Like You got to think, I'm, I grew up loving Duke. I'm an Auburn basketball fan. I hate Virginia, but to put Virginia as a nine seed and Auburn as an eight seed, you know, even in like pre- like preparation for next season, 
This is why I, I don't understand. Crazy. This is why I don't understand why people think that I'm crazy. I said this back in, I feel like January or February or all throughout this season. Everybody's like, no, no, no. Auburn's a preseason top ten team in the rankings, and I'm like, y'all just wait. People do. People across college basketball still do not see Auburn as a major power in college basketball. And it also does not help that Alabama just had the season that they had. Do you see where Alabama was on that bracketology? They were a one seed. They had Alabama. And if I'm not mistaken, they were the second one seed, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. They could have been. I could have just like looked at Alabama's the bracket wrong. Alabama's year makes Auburn an afterthought for the preseason this upcoming year. And that's because. You best. Yeah. I, I don't even know if Auburn's going to be a preseason top 25 team in rankings. In and ra- I know I know Joe Lenardi's bracketology is not the AP preseason top no. 25, but I'm telling you right now, Auburn will not be a preseason top 15 team in college basketball. I don't believe it. In the rankings. I, I w- in the I, rankings. Yes. We're, we're not saying Talent that. Talent-wise, I yes. think that they are there. We, we're saying that the people, that the media and the people ranking them won't have them ranked. We both believe that they will be a pre, we, we believe that talent-wise and team-wise, they should be a top 10 to top 15 team, but we don't think they will be ranked in that. Yeah, I mean, you are, you're disagreeing with the fact that Auburn is a, is an eight seed in that, in that bracketology, that way too early bracketology, but I just don't know how you look at the talent and you're like, yeah, that team's barely making the NCAA tournament. Florida was an, was a seven seed this year. So you're telling me, or LSU was an eight seed this year. I'm thinking of other SEC teams that were seeded back there, and I think that LSU team was playing a lot better than Florida was going into the postseason oh, yeah. this year, 100%. They got, the committee got that one wrong, big time. But next year's Auburn basketball team, talent-wise, is on a different tier than this past season's Florida team. And I, once again, I know we're all, this is all just semantics and whatnot, and we really shouldn't read into it, but still. It's good. I, com- I mean, it's good. It's I, I good just, conversation. I mean, I just don't see how how you look at Auburn's roster for next year and the talent that's coming in, and you think, hey, see, these guys are barely going to make it to the tournament out of out of SEC play because an eight seed is one of the is one of the last teams from these power conferences to make it in. Yeah, I mean, you're and that's, really not going to be lower than than if you're a twelve seed and you're a power conference team, you're in the play in game. If you're a ten seed. You can be a 10 seed and make it, but you're really not going to be eight. Eight is eight is you are you are you are near the bubble. You are, you are just you are you inside are, the field, but you were near the bubble. You were like a last four in type of team, if not like I wouldn't say last four in. Like but you were near next, the bubble. What about maybe next four in? Like you're, you're past that. We got Christian Page of CoverOne.net on the line with us on the other side of this break. Stay tuned for that conversation. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. And as promised, good friend of mine and NFL draft analyst Christian Page of CoverOne.net on the line with us. Christian, how you doing today, my man? I'm good, fellas. How are you guys? We're doing great, and I know this has got to be one of your favorite months of the year. Of course, December has to be up there because, you know, who doesn't like Christmas, you know? But still, this is this is like Christmas in April. Would, would, I, would I be right in saying that? Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. A lot of the uh, <laughs> anticipation's finally coming to fruition. So, yeah, that's that's definitely a safe, safe thing to say for me. Christian covering the NFL draft for CoverOne.net in April is going to be a busy month because – 
really, I guess in a week now, we've got NFL draft. Uh, we've got the NFL draft coming up. And so there, there's exciting times out there as these players are getting ready to realize their dreams of playing in the National Football League. Let's keep it local first, talking about Auburn, and then we'll branch out to the rest of the NFL. Auburn's receivers seem to headline the Tigers' potential draft class. Now that we're speaking for the first time since Pro Day, how do you how do you think NFL scouts view a guy like Anthony Schwartz now who who got to have a Pro Day, got to do combine-like drills, showcase his speed, do you think things have changed for Anthony Schwartz after NFL GMs have been able to take a look at him? Yeah, maybe just a little bit. I mean, I was. I'll be the first to admit I was a little bullish on maybe where his projection was going to be because, you know, what does he bring to the table outside of this speed, which is elite speed compared to his contemporaries in the class and just compared to all the athletes on the football field. But what more can he bring to the table? So, you know, getting, uh, you know, boots on the ground for some of those, uh, executives, some of those scouts, maybe there was a little more uh, that they saw on their scouting report that could convince them to taking him, you know, in the top four rounds. Because, you know, when when you have one of the top in 40s in this class, which everybody seems to have a really great 40, so how much can you really, you know, how much weight does that number actually carry? But seeing what his speed is on the field, seeing it in person, it definitely checks out. But, uh, yeah, I think he, probably just based on some of the chatter, I could see him maybe going – uh, late round four, I think, you know, once you kind of get in that, you know, right past, I guess, post 100 picks, that's when you can kind of, you know, hey, we like some of this, um, you know, some of the abilities this guy has to offer. We're going to take advantage of them and we'll just go ahead and maybe jump a little bit on our board and, and see what this guy has uh, uh, on the table. So I think that's probably what Anthony Schwartz's outlook looks like. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him, you know, welcomed in to, to kind of that vertical threat wide receiver for a team probably in the fourth round. But, you know, when, when there's one trait, there's a lot of uh, front office members that love that speed. They have big egos, and they're like, we can mold this guy into something great. And maybe that's what a lot of those conversations are like right now with Anthony Schwartz. What about Seth Williams, the guy that we entered into the offseason thinking was the most draft-ready Auburn wide receiver? Has anything changed for him as he's gone through the draft process? Yeah, maybe so. And I think the unofficial time for his 40, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, was like a four or five flat. So I thought that was a pretty uh, significant time for him. And not that he plays slow, but, you know, some of the some of the elements watching the plays, it's like, well, maybe I don't know if his game speed and his time speed are necessarily going to match up. So maybe that'll be something we can, you know, see at the next level. But I think that was a really good time. And, you know, him kind of admitting and saying, hey, we were – we were a little limited on what we could do as far as route tree goes in Gus Malzahn's offense. So, you know, having more of that desire to like, hey, I want to learn, you know, make me your bowl of clay, mold me to what you want me to be. I think from a character standpoint, that does help uh, Seth Williams' prospect uh, going forward. And, I mean, maybe I think he was probably a late uh, third-round guy, early fourth-round guy coming in. I don't know how much that has changed, um, but running that 4-5 definitely does not hurt him when you're evaluating in another really good wide receiver class. Christian, I'm just curious with this one. There's been a lot of, you know, controversy with like how people have been evaluating the quarterbacks. Do you have a you have a list like of your rankings of the quarterbacks going into this draft right now? Yeah, I kind of go a little more chalk with Trevor Lawrence and I don't know if Zach Wilson is technically the consistent number 2, but he's going to be picked number 2 overall to the New York Jets, but I would go I go Lawrence Wilson and then Fields and then the rest is kind of a shakeup. I mean Mac Jones I think he has to be 
fit into a perfect system. Uh, maybe not a perfect system, but a certain system uh, for his capabilities. Trey Lance, I think the learning curve is going to be steep coming into his career, and then I think there may be a little bit more of a drop-off when you're talking about you know Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask, among some other quarterbacks in this course. But, um, yeah, I kind of go chalk with those rankings, but the whole phenomenon with Justin Fields dropping and Zach Wilson this and Trey Lance this, I mean, like you said, no, it's that anticipation leading up to Christmas Day. That's that's what this, this smoke and mirrors is what really just intrigues people to the NFL draft. But um, I, I don't know if I'm buying all this this Justin Fields falling stuff and, and all his stock just significantly dropping based on certain interviews or character concerns or physical inabilities, whatever they may be. I still think he's a well-sought-after quarterback. He ultimately still could be the number three overall pick to the San Francisco 49ers. And then if he's not, then look for Atlanta at pick four to maybe move back, or maybe they take a shot at the local product out of Kennesaw. So the quarterback, like you said, Levi, the quarterback uh, situation is just always interesting. This year, it took another step forward. It always seems like there's something new every day. Somebody new putting a new opinion out there, whether it be trades or or someone like Mac Jones trending to number three, like you were just referring to with Justin Fields plummeting. And, and that is what makes all this so exciting. Do you think things are going to settle down a bit in the lead up to it? Or, or do you think, you know, what if you had to predict something that, that could happen over these next nine days as we head towards the start of the NFL draft, what storylines do you think may creep upon us? Yeah, I think a lot of those have been answered so far. I don't know if there's any going to be any more breaking news because that quarterback conversation has obviously spearheaded um, you know, just this, this draft season so far. So maybe there is some movement if somebody gets waived. I mean, San Francisco already moves up to pick three. You assume that's for a quarterback. Um, and then at pick four, Atlanta kind of starts the draft there at pick four. So maybe there's some movement ahead of time. But I think Atlanta, whether they stay put, and draft, you know, uh, a quarterback there. That's the big storyline. Maybe they get a guy like Kyle Pitts, who will be the highest uh, tight end drafted, I think, in draft history, or at least dating back to the 50s or 60s. Um, and so that would be a tremendous storyline. But maybe if some teams get waived that Atlanta's not going to select the quarterback, then that will maybe, you know, spearhead some kind of conversation of a team coming up to maybe like a Denver getting their quarterback or, you know, just, just maybe some of the other quarterback-needy teams. I don't think New England uh, has maybe the ammunition to move up. I know that's kind of been the trendy draft conversation so far. I think Peter Schrager of NFL Network in his latest mock draft had New England moving up to four to get a quarterback. I don't know if that's something that they can necessarily afford uh, with the, the lack thereof ammunition to move up, but it would make a lot of sense. And Let's be honest, New England's not the team that they used to be. A lot of their inefficiencies are definitely catching up with them. Uh, and even though Cam Newton's on, um, you know, had that one year last year, they still need to move forward with a quarterback uh, going forward because they have a lot of holes and they need somebody to definitely cover those up. Speaking with Christian Page of CoverOne.net, looking at number five in the draft, Cincinnati Bengals, in your mind, what should they do? And does that veer off from what will they do? Is it wide receiver or offensive lineman that could help out Joe Burrow more? Yeah, I think you have to look at offensive line. And I've always been a, a big believer of if you invest in your quarterback that early, that means immediately following you have to put pieces around him to make him succeed. Now, whether that's a left tackle and 
or, or a go-to wide receiver. I think their wide receivers are maybe okay. I just, you know, I mentioned the, um, the depth of this wide receiver class that they could maybe, you know, look at that in rounds two and three and still have some valuable players that can make an impact day one. But I think you probably look at a guy like Penny Sewell out of Oregon. Um, he's that left tackle, really athletic guy, can play, I think, in, you know, zone scheme situations, power schemes, athletic big man can move. Um, and he's really, I don't want to say he's a perfect offensive line product, but he's pretty close when you're evaluating that. Another guy that could be kind of the wild card sneaking up in that top eight range would be Sean Slater out of Northwestern. Uh, Sewell and Slater both opted out of this past year, so you have to go back a couple years to see uh, their, really their whole uh, film analysis. But I think Cincinnati should address the offensive tackle. Would not surprise me to see if LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase came off the board here. But if I'm in the front office and I want to protect my biggest investment right now in Joe Burrow, I'm looking at the offensive tackle position and I'm highlighting Penny Sewell's name out of Oregon. Last question here to you. We saw news that the Pittsburgh Steelers gave a contract extension to Mike Tomlin. What's the outlook for the Steelers right now going into this NFL draft as Big Ben continues to age and the offense continues to lose piece after piece each season? Yeah, it's another evaluation that's not as bad as like a New England situation like I was saying, but I think there's a lot of, I guess, smoke and mirrors that cover some of the inefficiencies for Pittsburgh. I mean, you saw the, the performance they had against in, against the Browns last year in the playoffs where the wheels just pretty much came off. And that, I think, was just a microcosm of what's to come in the future. And that is moving on eventually from Big Ben looking to find that quarterback. So I don't think that they would be necessarily in position to move up to one of those top ten picks to select a quarterback, maybe the third or fourth best quarterback, because that would take a lot of ammunition to get that high. But you got to start investing into a quarterback. You got to look at the running back position, and you know uh, you probably have to look at the wide receiver room. I mean, they need a complete—maybe not a complete rehaul on offense, but it's getting closer and closer every single day. Defensively, they found some of their foundation pieces. Uh, you got T.J. Watt. You got Devin Bush. You got Mika Fitzpatrick. So you have those building blocks on defense in all levels of the defense to really look for there. But then you got to flip it back to offense. And then that, that's where they really need to address a lot of points. So Pittsburgh's address to this offseason has been very interesting, and it'll be definitely more interesting when they look to evaluate things in the draft. Christian, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all the great content you're putting out. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. You can check everything on CoverOne.net. Follow us at CoverOne on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Christian Page. Uh, within the next coming days and next week, we got a lot of podcasts coming out. Uh, that's uh, You can find it on any uh, podcast app, and that's uh, Cover One, the draft podcast. A lot of divisional previews. I'm breaking down some numbers for offensive linemen, receivers, and running backs. So definitely uh, keep, keep your uh, Twitter timeline refreshed because we'll have a lot of content coming your way. I appreciate it, my man. Hope you have a good afternoon. All right. Thanks, guys. That was Christian Page of CoverOne.net. Let me tell everybody. That guy is a good friend of mine, and I love to pick his brain about all things football, whether it be college or the NFL. One of the most knowledgeable human beings that I know that knows so much about the game of football. And if you're not following that guy on Twitter, I'm not just saying this, you are missing out. I'm one of those people who love the draft like so much, so just getting to hear Christian talk about it, because you dude knows everything he's talking about like for me personally 
I just sit like I'm just sitting there enamored half the time. I was just like I was just sitting there like hanging on every word like man I I just love some good draft. I lo- I love draft talk, man. I love it especially when someone knows what they're talking about and I'm just like man this is amazing. I love it. It's one of those things like when you talk to somebody about a topic that they clearly that like they're clearly an expert and they know a lot more than you do but you still have a, have an extreme interest in that yes. topic and you hope to one day know as much as they do and then one day you say something to them and they they give credence to it or they're, or they're like man you're right it's like hey I, i'm going i'm going places <laughs> hey right? i'm learning i'm Watch learning I'm, I'm getting better <laughs> so like i said go and follow christian page on twitter if you're not doing it he is an exceptional football follow we'll be back to wrap up hour number one of the show the other side of this break you're listening to on the line Wrapping up, hour number one of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big thank you to Christian Page of Cover1.net for joining us in that previous segment to talk about the NFL draft. Kept the local for a bit, talking about some of Auburn's draft prospects, but also branched out of that and went out to the rest of the NFL, mainly talking about the top 10 draft selections and what teams may do at the quarterback position, but also... If the Bengals are going to make the right decision, the Steelers, what does their outlook look like as their team continues to age? They gave a contract extension today to Mike Tomlin for three years, as they should. Mike Tomlin, one of the best coaches in the NFL, as much as a Browns fan. I think he's underrated as a head coach. Like, I mean, I I don't think he, like, as good as he is, and people give him credit, but I'm just saying, like. I don't think the Steelers roster has been as good as the results maybe suggest over the last couple of years. So I I think you're right. As much as as being a Browns fan. Especially a quarterback. As much as being a Browns fan, that may pain me to say, Mike Tomlin's a great coach. Oh, he is. Great coach. I think they've held on to Ben Roethlisberger too long. I think they would have been a lot more successful had they moved on and actually, you know. But then if they do that, they catch major 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 flack for it i mean every now and then you got to take the horse to the pasture you got to you got to take ben rothsberger out old wow. yeller style sometimes wow that went that, that got dark in a hurry well that's what that you got to do sometimes if you if you missed the conversation with christian go ahead, you're that's, all, what, you're that's right. what we were gonna have to do with drew Brees if he didn't retire this year <laughs> if you missed that conversation with christian go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Let's wrap up hour number one here talking a little Auburn basketball. We got sidetracked by <laughs> Joe Lenardi's plain and simple, just wrong prediction of Auburn basketball for next season as an eight seed. But I just, I don't, I don't get. I don't get why people are down on Auburn going into next year. If you want to bring up NCAA tournament concerns, whether or not they're actually going to be able to play in the NCAA tournament, well, then just don't include them in the field of 68 to begin with. Just say that they won't be playing in it. But if you're going to – and I want to bring this up too. Joe Lenardi didn't include Auburn for this past year in his preseason predictions last season a year ago, way too early, like a week after the NCAA tournament was canceled. He put out a – Way too early predictions for this upcoming year, and he didn't include Auburn in that field of 68. I wonder if he knew something. He might have. He might have just been like, I wonder if he knew something. Maybe maybe he knew that uh, there was some some impending doom on the horizon. (laughs) Alan Flanagan today announced his decision to return to the Plains. This gives us, like I was saying earlier, another chance to talk about Auburn's roster for next year. What do you think Flanagan's role is on this team after the recent influx of talent coming to the Plains? I mean... He's. I don't he's think it changes be, too much. I don't think it changes. Like I mean, I, he's not going to have to play point guard too often. 
I mean, I think that changes. He won't have to play point guard. But I think you were going to ask of him to just be – he's not going to be the whole offense. He's not going to be asked to try to – he's just going to be a valuable piece. I think he's more suited for being like a second, third, fourth option, which might end up happening this year based off of the way the team shakes out. It, I mean, that's – it's all depending on – He's a more how, athletic 3 and D wing. Yes. The guy's career started out as him being an athletic wing that is more that was more of a slasher and a defender than he was a three-point shooter. His game evolved this year into primarily shooting threes and then driving as a second option. He became a pull-up, in-your-face three-point shooter, which didn't always work out. And when it did work out, it was fun to watch. I go back to that South Carolina game, yep. and he was straight-up punching out South Carolina players every, every opportunity that he could get, you know, but... Alan Flanagan will be a starter. I think where he starts in the starting five depends on if JT Thor comes back. If JT Thor returns to Auburn, I think Alan Flanagan starts at shooting guard and Auburn has one of the tallest lineups in all of college basketball, if not the tallest lineup in all of college basketball. If Thor leaves, I think Alan Flanagan will start at the small forward position. At the end of the day, look, Bruce Pearl is going to play his best defender and alan flanagan is the best defender on the team is that especially at perimeter. least at locking down it's the perimeter per, yeah. perimeter defense alan flanagan has that but like he can he's guard he can yeah. guard almost anybody any position on the floor i'd say once you start getting into some giant front court players then of course he'll get bodied down low but in terms of being able to keep somebody in front of him athletic players in front of him he's just as athletic as anybody that he's going to face in college basketball and he'll be able to I, and I think that there's a big reason for me why I think Alan Flanagan does have NBA draft prospects after this upcoming year I thought he had I, I thought he was probably Auburn's we mean you talked about this off air Alan Flanagan right now is a little bit more refined than JT Thor is and if Alan Flanagan were to go through the, the draft process I would not have been shocked if he was a second round selection in the NBA draft because I think teams would have seen that this guy can defend similar to Isaac Okoro I think his offensive game is further along than where Isaac Okoro's was last year coming out. Now, of course, Isaac Okoro came out as a freshman, and Flanagan would have been coming out as a sophomore. But Flanagan can hit threes, and he can play inside. His inside game is probably not as good as Isaac Okoro's was, but his three-point shooting is much better than Isaac Okoro's was last year for Auburn. So I think offensively, there's some give and take there, but defensively, a little bit worse than Isaac Okoro. But still, I believe that he would be able to guard a decent amount of players that he would face in the NBA. Now, Isaac Okoro is good enough and athletic enough to guard the best players in the NBA. You go and look at all the, the list of names that he has guarded this year. It ranges from LeBron James to Jimmy Butler to, look, best player on the opposing team, Kevin Durant. I mean, best player on the opposing team. That's where he's going. Isaac Okoro is on him. And I don't know if Alan Flanagan would have been in that situation, but I definitely think there were some tools for Alan Flanagan that were already refined enough to possibly have him considered for being drafted. JT Thor, on the other hand, I think he's more of a flyer for a lot of teams out there where they would select him. I think at best you see him go in the second round. And if he does get selected in the second round, like all it takes is one team to fall in love with you, but I just don't see too many teams falling in love with JT Thor right now when technically at the moment he's just uh he would have been a high school basketball player this year he can come back and play college basketball another year and still be the same age as a one-and-done freshman so it makes sense for jt Thor to come back another year and and refine himself a little bit yep that's it for hour number one of vinyl i will have hour number two coming up on the other side of this break stay with us another hour to go here on espn 106.7 and on fox sports central alabama you are on the line live 
on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Strong hour number one, and if you missed it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast number to call 334-321-1390 phone lines are open we want to hear from you once again the number to call 334-321-1390 at point gardner and at levi fitzwater to you on twitter that's how you can find us and interact with us on social media once again at point gardner at levi fitzwater starting off hour number two here ranking our top three performers from a day on the offensive side of the football and i'm going to make this list exclude bo nix you're gonna make this one exclude bo nix so yes. i mean the obvious I mean, top... he was the top performer on the offensive side of the ball i think that's true right, right? i mean like I, you could, at the top you, of the list yeah. would we say tank bigsby I mean, Tank Bigsby might. He's at might, the top I mean, of my list. Have you ranked yours out, or are, we doing I, the, are you doing this as we go? Well, I would say Tank Bigsby was my number one. Yes, I mean, 100%. He was, he was my number one in terms of, you know, the top-performing guy. But uh, you want to start – how do you want to start? Do you want to do one down to three again? Do you want to do three up? How do you want to do it? Let's go three up. I like that. Three yeah, up? Let, let's, go, let's go three to one. So then I'll start with Sean Shivers at three then. Sean Shiver, I mean, he impressed me. Like I, and we've been, we've, one point he was like eight for 55 as well, which is almost seven yards a carry. We've been doing That's strong. Like we've been kind of like, not really, but we've been kind of Sean Shivers, like haters almost. Cause me and you were both like, we, we were really expecting, you know, Barrett to take over midway through the year. And Sean Shiver just kind of, he just kind of shut me up. He just kind of came out there, ran hard, did what he had to do. And, he looked impressive. I mean, he's not, he's not going to be the star of the team, but it does. I said it yesterday. It feels good when you know that you can spell out Tank Bixby for someone who is competent at running back. It just makes you feel better that you don't have to worry about Tank Bixby. Half like he has to be in every single play, or your offense is going to fall apart. It just it feels better from an injury perspective when you have that going on with Sean Shivers. I think I thought he looked impressive. He hit the holes hard. He ran with power. Lee's a little bit desired. Looked more effective to me. Yeah, he he looked better. Then he did under Gus Malzahn. I think because I that think they, Auburn was using Gus uh, Gus Malzahn was using John Shivers incorrectly. I think they yeah. I think I think that's the big thing. They're using him correctly. He looks like a gadget back, but he's a power back. And it's weird to say that with a guy who's like you know that small, but he's jacked. He's a jack dude. Like, like he's trying to tackle a cannonball. He's big. Like he's got muscle. He's a power back. He's just his size in terms of height doesn't necessarily reflect that. He's going to hit the whole hard. He's a good de- between the tackles, you know, very good just up downhill runner that that you like. He just he people just got fooled that he was short. They were like, "Oh, he's short. He's a gadget back. He's Darren Sproles when he's not." When I look at Sean Shivers and the trajectory of his career he got onto campus he's changed his body dramatically he's become a more power he, he looks like a power bag if the guy was in a group of five he'd, he'd be very dangerous 
He would be the leading rusher on on many group of five teams across oh, yeah. college football. He, he's Except he had to change his body to become an SEC caliber back and to be able to withstand the sure. hits that he would have to take in SEC football. And in doing so, his ability to be used as a gadget slash speed back, a scat back, that went out the window because he became less agile. His ability to turn corners. He became less able to do those things. If you go and watch the guy try and take sweeps or try and take end arounds or, or, or anything around the line of scrimmage, he has to almost stop to change direction. And I think he's got really good top-end speed when he's running in a straight line, but how often do you get to do that? And on Saturday, the way that Auburn used Sean Shivers allowed him to get moving north to south or you know allowed him to move, move vertically up the field rather than horizontally – which I think fits his skill set a lot more. It fits his skill set a lot better than maybe it does trying to move him horizontally because he needs that momentum. He needs that leverage of moving his body forward to become a more effective pass rusher. I like his vision a lot. I like his ability to find open holes once he does get past the initial point of attack. Sean Chivers has the ability to be a solid number two in this league. He just has to be used correctly. And I think I think the coaches are going to use him correctly under this new under this new offensive scheme. And now we're going to head to the phone lines as joining us on the line. We got a caller. We got Shane on the line with us. Shane, how you doing today, my man? Damn, I'm good, guys. How are y'all today? We're doing excellent. Early in the week, we're feeling good. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to talk about a few sports, if that's all right. Go for it. So the the A Day game, uh, you know, is this for fun? I don't. For me, I didn't really see anything that was exciting or or concerning. Just, just because they're not going to show the competitors what they're really doing. And I thought, you know, this is just for for the fans, basically. So so I, I have no idea what this team is going to look like. Like zero, I've no idea. And which is kind of scary and, 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 and possibly exciting. I don't know. Um, I only think that I, I, I just hope that, that Bo Nix can develop a little bit between what's now and fall. That's my, that's my only worry is that he's running because he thinks he has to. And, and I, I don't know anything new about the offensive line. I don't know. They didn't really look. I mean, a couple plays look like they opened up a little bit, but but it just looks the same. So so far, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, the, a lot of what we talked about in the first segment of the show today, we said the offensive line struggled a little bit more than maybe we expected it to. I thought maybe, especially considering they were playing the second team pass rushers you know like Auburn was not a top six unit in the SEC last year in terms of pass rushing they were pretty average and the bodies didn't change and it's only been three months since they last played a football game against Northwestern where they were still pretty underwhelming so I was I was kind of shocked that Bo Nix had to move around a little bit too much and a lot of his passes that he completed were on screens and you're right it, it was a it was a bland spring game it was honestly one of the worst spring games I've watched not in terms of of yeah. how Auburn played but it, it was it was it's the boring. blandest and most boring yes it was it was not it I did not boring. enjoy it I didn't even watch the second half of it I I, I, I don't even know if, it, if something happened then but like uh, from what I saw it was just you know yeah it was just boring you know so I thought and I but I thought that the ones played against the one 
or was that not? Did he change his mind? Because at one point, I heard I heard Harson say that the ones were going to play against the ones. Well, that that's not what happened. At yeah. least on, and there okay. was stuff that throughout the week that you're that we were hearing. I had heard that there was going to be a running clock. That is not what happened either. You know, they did yeah. they did eight minute right. quarters, and then they ran it in the fourth quarter. But that was the other thing. It was bizarre. I, I don't remember there being too many eight minute quarters at spring games yeah. in the past. Maybe I'm just misremembering. I don't, I don't know. There just wasn't. I saw the eight minute quarters no. when I was streaming the game, and then I was like, well. I don't. I I instantly lost a lot of excitement at that point. I was like, "Well, this is going to be quick." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, if I, you don't mind, I want to just move on from football, which is weird to say, but um, <laughs> but um, so so basketball um, still not getting the respect that we should get. I, I think I think we have an excellent team um, for this next season. Did, did, are we getting this? Are we getting another transfer in? Or, or is, I keep hearing that like there's another guy coming in. Possibly is that, is that true or no? Well, the the three guys that Auburn has has brought in so far: Zepp Jasper, Walker Kessler, and then Wendell Green Jr. That's all that's happening at the moment. But Auburn still has another scholarship available, even if JT Thor returns for next season and JT Thor still in the NBA draft process but if he returns there's another spot still available and then if he doesn't then there's two scholarships available and I imagine Auburn would yeah, fill okay. at least one of those so the Auburn there will go after I just heard you know not too long ago that there was, a, there was another guy that uh that Auburn that uh Auburn was making a decision today Desi Sills uh, out, of, out of Arkansas is making his yes and Auburn was was put into a graphic there was a graphic released on his instagram page last week he posted auburn and a&m as his top two teams and then like 30 minutes later he deleted it now but he hasn't said that any of those teams are out of his recruitment he just came back a couple minutes after he deleted it and said his recruitment was open auburn is in the mix i don't know if he's committing to auburn but auburn is in the mix and then if not See, I, I said last week that I don't think Auburn should go after Desi Sills. And a big part of that is I just don't know how he fits in. Desi Sills, when he said that he wanted to transfer from Arkansas, he said some things, I think, either on his Instagram or his Twitter or along the lines of, I want to go to a place where Desi can be Desi. I'm a certified bucket, and you guys are going to know that, which is which is fine. I like yeah. the confidence. But if you're wanting to go and be a number one on a basketball team, I, I, Auburn's not that place because – Not next year. They're not going not next to, year. There's a lot of mouths to feed, and Desi Seals would yeah. be number four on that list for me if he were to join yeah. this roster, maybe even number five. Yeah. Hey, and lastly – what in the heck has happened to baseball? I think it's, it's, I think it's, it's over. It's so sad. <laughs> hey, it's, oh, it's definitely over. It's so sad that both those games, against Alabama, I told my wife, I said, we were, we were up both games. I said, just, just, we're going to lose both of those games. We're going to lose this game. Just wait. I don't know. I don't know how, but it will be in the last inning or, or, or inning and a half that we're going to lose it. And that's how it happened the last two games. The last ten games that we've lost, have been like we're, we're leading, and then the last inning or two, like they throw in the pitchers. I don't understand the pitch choices because there's the, the announcer said, like, one of the games, you know, we brought one guy out that was like striking people out. He, he has this great ERA and, and, and all this. And, and then the next inning, this, this another guy comes in 
that the announcer just like described him, and it was like, well, he gave up three runs in the, in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, his bat, his his ERA is like three. So, you know, it was like, why are we putting these guys that are are just not doing it right now? Why do we keep putting them in? It's like, do we not have anybody else it's during the like the ninth, the eighth, and ninth inning? They are. They have ran out. Of, they've ran out of arms. One hundred percent. They. They. I think they're. I, I've talked to some people around uh, that. They're relatively close to the program, and they. They're. Let's just. i just being honest with you. They're. They're. They have ran out of arms. They. They don't have a whole. I don't think they have a whole lot of confidence in some of the guys. Like Mason Barnett started out the year as, as closer, and then he had to go and be thrust into a starting role due to Jack Owen getting hurt. But And Barnett started out the year strong, but now I think they've lost some confidence in even someone that was performing as well as Mason Barnett did at the beginning of the season. And if Barnett supposedly is the best of the bullpen and, and he's somebody that they can't even really have confidence in, you're, re- you're reduced to guys like Swilling who were not even on the radar going into the year. And then Carson Skipper's been pretty good, but everybody's just so inconsistent in the bullpen and there's no one that you can really trust and I think really what we're experiencing right now is like the baseball version of 2012 Auburn football where now it's a confidence thing you you knew that you were you knew And, and you knew that it was you knew that you were hurting for for not necessarily talent but you knew that you were hurting for depth and arms after you had two or three guys go down with injuries within the first week and a half of the season you knew that it was going to be an uphill battle but now yeah, it's a confidence thing when they get a lead and it's only like one or two runs well you're like well you're, you're they're gonna lose by one run which right now they're two and eight and one run sec games that you wouldn't be wrong yeah. and you you were right to to assume that auburn was going to lose those games to alabama i thought the same thing oh it, yeah right and it's it's sad that this is happening and and so i i, I thought that this the, the alabama series was going to be a turning point one way or the other if we could have pulled out Two at least, two at least, and I thought maybe we could salvage the season somehow, but I, I see zero way of doing that now. And, and what, last last thing is, can they not leave like the starters in that are doing well, like one more inning each time, each each, each game, like the, the first two, you know, save a couple of arms or something, or or like I, I don't know, I I just. I even think that some of the issues have have kind of infected the starting pitchers too a bit. I, I don't think the starters have been overly sharp over the last two weeks, and they weren't playing like great hitting teams either in the league. Like Mississippi State was right. relatively average, middle of the pack in terms of batting. They actually had worse SEC hitting statistics than Auburn did, and then Alabama. Now, now going back to Mississippi State real quick, their arms are incredible, but Alabama. Yeah they they have four four hitters that are really good and then after that it's it's a very top heavy order and so i i was I, i've been very underwhelmed with the way that auburn starters have done of the last two series i thought that they would have performed better because i'm with you you need another inning if your bullpen's this bad you need another inning or two out of your starters to try and save some of these bullpen arms so that you can have right. some longevity over the weekend but by the time auburn gets to game three everybody's spent and they they're just just kind of a circus yeah, yeah. And we, we, you know, we we should have swept Arkansas and Alabama and pulled out another victory, uh, victory again. Oh man, and, uh, and I, I just, it's it's disheartening, and I feel for these guys because they're, they're it's all in their head now. But their bats are they're they're playing decent. Uh, it's just it's just it's the pitching. It's yeah. like walk, hit hit a batter, and, and then let you let two people on. I'm like, oh. Okay. Something bad is about to happen, and then turn up. 
and overshadows stuff like inside the park home run. Yeah. Yeah, it's like we've all forgotten about the fact that that happened. Yeah. But I'll say yeah. this, too, about Auburn. You were talking about is it over, and I'm with you. I don't see them making it to the postseason. But just bringing up mathematically what they'd have to do, which is also very unlikely. But I've talked to some people that say the magic number is 13 for this Auburn for this Auburn team to try and make the postseason. I think that that's too low. I think Auburn needs to win 14 SEC games. But essentially, if Auburn were to try and get to 13, they have to win every series from here out and sweep one team, which yeah. the schedule does get easier. But I, I don't, I don't know if you look at this pitching staff, you think this team can do that. Now, in the past, if this team had been pitching a little bit better, then maybe I would say, yeah, that that's that's really doable because the last three series right. are against all equally bad SEC teams as Auburn is. They just haven't had nearly the same tough schedule that Auburn has because Auburn's had the worst. Auburn's had the toughest schedule yeah. in the SEC. And, but I, I don't see Auburn winning this series. The next two series aren't cakewalks for Auburn. They, they got to play Florida. They got to play Georgia. I, I don't even see Auburn winning those series. And you have to, dude. You yeah. have to win you have those to series. Ma- you, you can't ma- mathematically. You cannot lose any more series. Like it is that. Yeah. That is it has reached that point. Auburn, Auburn has been pushed over the precipice. I think. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Good. I like. I like listening to you guys. Y'all have a good day. Bye. You too, Shane. Thank you. That was Shane on the line with us. And if you want to join in, call 334-321-1390. Anything that's on your mind, we want to hear from you. We're going to head to a quick break here on On the Line. And when we come back, we'll talk about LSU's quarterback battle. What is going on after the spring? Ed Orseron seems to like it, but I'm not so certain that the Tigers are turning around in that quarterback room. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break. Back on On the Line, Noah Garner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station between the Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis News and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. That's how you can call in and join the show. Just had Shane on the line with us. Always enjoy talking with Shane. You can call in too, 334-321-1390. Tease this going into the segment here. LSU leaving the spring with no clear leader right now, I feel like, in the quarterback room. Ed Orgeron says this is the best quarterback room he's had since he's been at LSU. And I think that's absurd because one year he had a future Heisman Trophy winner in Joe Burrow. Number one overall yeah. traffic. That's that's, that's cap. There's so no, no I, chance. I don't, I don't care if the depth behind him was horrible. I, I don't care. I, Joe Burrow, that, that's clearly your best quarterback room. All it takes is one, right? And only one guy plays. But he seems to really like this group. But you leave the spring with no clear leader. And the things that you hear coming out of Baton Rouge is that one guy does great one day then the next guy shows him up and they're all just there's someone different every day that's playing really well and that's being spun and painted as these guys are playing really well that this is a great thing that competition is at an all-time high and no matter who starts they're going to be really good that's how this is being painted out of baton rouge when i hear those things i hear oh so they're inconsistent not any one of these guys is always doing well all spring long. Nobody has stepped up on a consistent basis. That's what I hear. I mean, that's what it feels like to me. It just doesn't feel like there's a guy who has truly separated himself from the other guys. And when you look at what quarterbacks they have on this roster, 
it makes sense because you're not like you don't look at any of these guys and think confidence. You're not confident in one of these guys, especially from what you've seen on film. I mean, me and you lightly were touching on this during the break. It, Miles Brennan's a fifth-year senior. If he ain't got it by now, he doesn't have it. And I haven't seen anything to show me that he has it. Max Johnson, to me, looks like the guy who has the most promise in terms of at least starting this year and could be something for the future. Obviously, Nussmeyer, is a, he's a young guy. He showed some flashes, but I don't think he's quite ready. I discount TJ Finley because uh, I, I wasn't impressed with him last year. And there's a common theme. If you listen to everything I just said with every one of them, each one of them, has been unimpressive, and that's the issue. There hasn't been a guy who you've looked at and said, that guy. There's not a single one. They might, they're might. they all about the same level, and it's not, a good, it's not a great level to be on. And you bring up T.J. Finley. How is it any different than saying, looking at last year's football season, how is it any different than saying, well, T.J. Finley looked pretty good against Alabama, then he played against Auburn, and he lost his job. And like and Max Johnson looked good at the end of the year, but he also looked bad against Auburn and against some other teams that he played against. Exactly. I don't care if they had a couple of quarters against one team where they looked pretty good. It's like they were just like flashes when he's playing Alabama, and you're like, oh, this guy actually looks like he can play. And then you, you but, watch but him but against are we Auburn, thinking and you're that like, because everybody else on their team at quarterback isn't uh, very good. That, you're yes, just like, oh, yes. that guy completed a pass. That's better than what we were seeing. I, I honestly think that's what it is. I, 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 think I, it's, I think so, too. I honestly think it's because they're, they've all been so subpar that you're looking at them and, it, like you just said, oh, they completed a pass. This is our quarterback, and that is... Oh, they got a first. They, they got a couple of first downs to this drive without throwing a pick. It reminds you know? me like, of like that, uh, that 2012... Uh, we, we talked about 2012 Auburn twice. It reminds me of that 2012 Auburn quarterback in room where... None of them really looked good where you're bringing out like Kyle Frazier. You're bringing out Clint Mosley. You're trotting out Jonathan Wallace. I think that quarterback room is much worse than LSU's currently. A hundred percent. But you understand what I'm saying here is like there was no. Because that was an apocalyptic Auburn football season. Yes. But, but you're looking at the It's the same in terms of everybody was on an equal playing field and not a good playing field. That Auburn quarterback room was much worse. The LSU quarterback room is better, but they're not. None of them are, are good right now they're all just there they're meh they're all meh right now and nobody separated themselves and that's awful you know what they say when you have four quarterbacks you have no quarterbacks you don't have that's one so true when that is have, so when, true when it's, it's bad enough when you have good point. it's bad enough when you have two quarterbacks yeah four no that's a good point that and, that is a great way to phrase that we're going back to those old lsu teams where they have a lot of talent everywhere else i mean old lsu teams it's like the norm for LSU quarterback uh, for the LSU quarterback position over the last decade aside outside from Joe of Burrow. Yeah, outside of the one year it's it's that year Matt where Berger had a one good year he was fine Matt Flynn was okay <laughs> that's beyond a decade ago I'm talking oh, about yeah like, that's even further back I showed my last age 10 years God, 2006 was so long ago I mean but last 10 years Ooh. the two best quarterbacks for LSU help me if I'm forgetting anybody last 10 years I think you'd say Joe Burrow and Zach Mettenberger that's fair am I leaving anybody off I don't think so. I mean, I'm I'm think I'm going through their quarterbacks, and I don't. Oh, you're disrespecting Danny Etling. You're de, you're disrespecting. I did forget about Danny Etling, and disres- I loved and I loved Danny Etling. You're disrespecting the Purdue cast you know, off. Look, you know why I forgot about Danny Etling? It just kind of it blurs with Joe Burrow because they were back to back. That's why that. That's why I Danny Etling. I ooh, you're, Danny Etling better than Zach Mettenberger's one year in 2013. Maybe. Mm. Maybe like Zach Mettenberger honestly wasn't that impressive. Wasn't that he, uh, he got a lot of hype. more games though than Danny Etling. That's right? true. But hey, 
But well, those LSU teams were better. He had Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry to throw to back then. I don't forget when Dan Yetlin came down here for the hot seat bowl and Op- you know right outside of Opelika, Alabama, where you have that Auburn LSU loser gets out of town and it just so happened to be Les Miles that year. I liked Danny Etling. I, th- I, th- I thought the guy was. I thought the guy was okay. Speaking of, it's weird that we're talking about Danny Etling in 2021. It's one of my favorite tweets of all time. Was Danny Etling playing in a preseason game for the Patriots? He rips off like a 70 something yard run. Oh man, I a, forgot. Yeah, I totally read, forgot about on that. On a read option, and I think Bomani Jones was the guy who said, "I saw Danny Etling score 70 yard touchdown, and I know good and well he wasn't throwing the ball 70 yards." <laughs> <laughs> and it just made me laugh and i was like yeah. in my head i was thinking there's no way that he uh he ran the ball 70 yards either because he had some cement shoes and he was concrete concrete feeting it down the sideline just hoping and that's what happens when you're slow nobody expects you to keep it on the read option another point here i want to make about lsu's current quarterback room i have to say current now as we've gone down a trip yeah, through we, memory lane and the swamp or not the swamp the the swampy bayou out there in lsu but are things really as good as Ed Orgeron is making them seem or are there really issues behind the scenes because like and really we can't say behind the scenes anymore because like a lot of it's been brought out public what the issues are but like you think about everything swirling around the LSU program why would Ed Orgeron over the over the summer be like our quarterback room isn't very good you know or or saying things along the lines of well we've got a long ways to go he's gonna try and hype people up for football season He's going to try and sell that this year is going to be better and that this year is going to be okay, probably because internally he's trying to believe it too. You have to. I mean, like that that's part of being the head coach of a program. When things are going bad. So you're going bad, to put on a good face and you're going to smile. You and, got to. And, and, and just try and move on through all the stuff that's going on around you. I'm at, like if you're So eight, he's not going to sit here and say that, yeah. the, that the quarterback room needs improvement. He's going to try and say... That the quarterback room's the best room that he's ever had. Okay. Which might be a bit of an extreme on that spectrum, but still. Yeah, if you're a high school senior, you know, a 17 year old kid, and you're sitting there considering LSU, and you hear him say, this quarterback room is abysmal, and you're a wide receiver, you're going to go, like... But you wouldn't have said that. That's also the extreme on the other end of that. You're not going to say, oh, this quarterback room really isn't that good. I mean... He's going to try and sell his program. You might right lose now. a guy like the coldest to ever do at Crawford. He might be sitting at home going, I don't want to go there anymore. When we come back, we'll talk about what teams would we include in a college football super league. More of online on the other side of this break. You don't want to miss that conversation. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook. To keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. Excellent show throughout today so far you can go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast if you ever missed a show if you missed any of today go back and find us also big thank you to christian page of cover one.net for joining us on the lot today to talk some nfl draft with us we got the lowdown on what's going on with some of the auburn players throughout the draft process where do they stand going into nine days from now when the draft begins which i doubt any auburn players drafted on day one or uh, and i'd be curious if somebody's drafted on day two but I would I would imagine that most guys that there might be a couple of selections on day two and then most everybody else for sure for this Auburn draft classes 
is a day three selection on that Saturday when the NFL draft rolls around, which will be a fun draft. Good to see that there will be people at the draft this year, that NFL teams can be in their draft rooms. It's it's a different vibe than it was last year. Now we don't have to awkwardly watch Roger Goodell perform the draft in his man cave basement living room thing that he had going on last year. I mean, I, I kind of liked it, but I'm, I'm glad to have it back. It was Look, fun. Look, he got awkward, though, by the end, by the time that, by the end of the draft, he switched to his leisure, his, his leisure, you know, he got out of his suit or whatever he was wearing at the beginning, and he changed to more leisurely clothing. Good, and anything. It, it felt like I was about to see him kick back in a recliner with, like, a glass of wine and start announcing all of the selections You're, for the draft. It got creepy. I thought he was about to open a book, sit in a, sit in his recliner with a lamp on and with a glass of wine and then start telling us who, who was getting drafted. That was the vibe I was getting by you'll the never end. It was see, creepy. You'll never see that because robots don't have to actually eat or drink anything. <laughs> so Roger Goodell would just he, he might start short circuiting at some point, but any anything that paints Roger Goodell down. that makes him look awkward, cringy, bad, I'm here for it. You know, you know, it's not a not a secret how I feel about him. Uh, I, I think he's an an inconsistent leader at times, especially with punishments for various teams and various degrees. Of, robots wouldn't be inconsistent though. That's true. Robots he's, have programs. So he's clearly not a robot. No, he's a buggy robot. He's a poorly built one. Someone <laughs> built him. There's a bug in the code of Roger Goodell, and he doesn't understand that. But even if that's true, then what the bug would what the you know if there was a glitch in the programming, you know, a glitch in the matrix. It would continue to occur at that very point. There would be nothing random about it. It would be the same thing over and over again that he would have issues with. But then again, you could probably point out the same things that he has issues with over and over again. It's, it's all inconsistent. <laughs> it's like, oh, we'll give uh, let's give this guy who you know assaulted someone. Let's give him one game, and then this guy who was you know who was cited for a PED use. Let's suspend him for like three years. <laughs> it's just, like that's extreme, and I'm sure there's not a case like that. But you know what I mean? There's just very inconsistent lines in terms of suspensions that. It irks me along along many other things, but let's 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 not go down that hole today. I'll I'll get on my Roger Goodell rant some other time. So switching gears now to our college football super league. I don't know how many people have kept up with the news that's going on across the pond in England, which we're not gonna talk about soccer here, but I have to tell I have to at least get people what's going on, a background information for where this is at. I'm sure people have been seeing stuff on social media like, well, who would be in a college football super league if this were to happen? Well, what's going on over in European soccer? There are some teams, the most rich teams, and the teams that have the biggest brands across the pond, not only just in England, but also in the continental Europe where you've got Spanish teams and Italian teams. No German teams have broke off from this. It's just mainly been English, Spanish, and Italian teams. Some of the biggest brands in European soccer are the biggest brands in European soccer have decided or, or were coming up with a plan to break off from their leagues and start their own league, their own super league, as they were calling it. And that has brought on actually protest in the streets in parts of England. Like today, like Chelsea, one of the prominent English soccer teams, was getting set to play in a game today, or their bus was driving to where they were going to play, and fans like were out in the streets protesting and like stop the bus from being able to proceed through the streets. And I'm sure people have seen many times over the years uh, things kind of go haywire after a soccer game, whether it be protest or just you know general demonstrations, people getting upset, whatever it may be. They, they, take, they take soccer very seriously over there, very Fair. seriously. So much so that people, like I said, were protesting today. The people people end up losing their lives sometimes like <laughs> through like games being won or lost. But with that being said... 
Chelsea today just and Manchester City after the backlash announced that they would be pulling out of the Super League or at least the plans for the Super League and and personally and I'm and I'm a Tottenham fan I do watch a lot of soccer I'm a big soccer fan I'm a weirdo who will wake up in the morning and watch it at 6 a.m but you won't wake up and watch KBO no I won't but there's a difference between waking up at 6 a.m and going to sleep at 6 a.m Levi there's a big difference there is there though one's getting your day started on a bright note the other one is going to sleep at the start of a new day I, 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 there, there's a major difference hey, there i get all my stuff done well not now I, I can't i can't move very well right now but long story short here the that has prompted people to say well what happened what what, what would happen if this was applied to american sports and i think it's funny because I, I said this to you before the show started i said every every year we're talking about how the power five should break away from the ncaa and nobody has a problem with it over here but we everybody's, yeah, everybody's got it. a problem with it over there, right? There, there's, and I, I just, and I know that it's for different reasons. The situations are yeah. different, but people have a because mainly everybody over there likes the system that is in place for how especially, how their leagues are, ran. especially but for those here, top teams, the super teams. You're like, I can beat up on some of these, you know, people lower in my end league. teams. Yeah, I can, yeah. I can, I can beat up on them a little. I'm bit. a Tottenham fan, and we're the worst of the group of six teams that is leaving England. And we constantly get beat by those best clubs. And I'm like, why are you leaving now? Stay. They're gone. Stay. <laughs> you run the show now. It's like Mississippi State like trying to leave. And you're just like, no, Mississippi State, stay. You can you can hang with the yeah, SEC this, after yeah, this everybody would be leaves. Like if, this would be like if Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Florida all left. And Tennessee was like, take us with you. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, no, Tennessee. no, I don't, I don't think you understand. Tennessee, go stay. Go stay, Tennessee. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That, this that, is your chance. So that prompted us to create a college football super league of our own here, and we we're going to select 15 teams because that's what it is. What 15 teams are breaking out, or 12 teams rather, have already broken out. They were trying to add three more. So 15 teams here, based off of this criteria, because it's not necessarily about the teams performing, because there are no. a couple of teams yeah. right now that are performing in the middle of the pack in the Premier League and soccer that are included in this because there's some of the most rich teams in the world. Historically. like I mean, historically and brand recognition happens. So what would that be in college football? And I'll say in in every single list that I've seen out there today on social media, Auburn was included in every single one. I was very surprised to see Auburn included in those. In every single one. I I thought they would be in most of them, but Auburn was included in every single one. I was like, okay, there's some respect out there. I think it also helps that they're – tethered a little bit to alabama they like are you can't just break like, up that rivalry you're like look you, we got to keep it together man yep. like we'll, we'll can't, take can't break that rivalry look you can you can go you can go to the mall with your friends but you got to take your little brother along i can't believe you just said that <laughs> i can't believe you just said that <laughs> that was a joke i had to ruffle a little <sighs> bit of feathers all right but no, so like, let's, I, auburn has earned the right to be up there like all you know all jokes and memes aside like it's auburn has earned that record i mean they're what like top 15 top 20 wins all time like they're they would yes be top 15 if they're, you take out the Yale, yes. Harvard, Penn, Princeton, yeah, and Mount Union. They're take 18th those if you out. take those teams out. Yeah, yes. so they're top 15. Yeah, like I mean they've earned it on their own right. Like I don't think it really has to do with Alabama being Alabama. So I've got five already here, and then we'll we'll go from there. I've got five okay. here that I think are, are shoe ins at the moment: Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. I've got those on my list too. All of those teams are succeeding at that level. Also, brand recognition. Now, if this was ten years ago, Clemson would not be included. But Clemson's but changed. Clemson has yes. changed dramatically, and they are one of the most recognizable recognizable brands in all of college football. Also, think we need to put Texas on this list. One hundred percent, because they well. are fourth all times in wins. And once again, this isn't totally about success, but in terms of brands, Texas is recognized 
in that category. Would you include Nebraska? This has been something that has been talked about. I have Nebraska as my 16th. They're like my honorable mention outside looking in. I want to put them in there. But I just could not. I'll table them on the side at the moment because I'm keeping this list. We're kind of drafting as we go, and I'm going from most wins. I'm going from top to bottom on the all-time wins. I, say, list. I just did mine. I did mine by conference and how I felt that, and like I, I kind of have a good idea of like who my. Let's think about it from like a bracketology standpoint. Like I know who my first four teams out are, and like my teams that would be my next four in. And Nebraska for me right now. I might change my mind by the end of the conversation. Their brand has changed. It's not it's, Nebraska of all people. Like, they're, they're, yeah. There's no clout there anymore when you talk about Nebraska. Even with Notre Dame, who has underperformed throughout you know our li- lifetime and in the past like what two decades, they still hold that Notre Dame brand. Nebraska doesn't hold that anymore. As soon as Nebraska went to the Big Ten, everything changed. 100%. Now, yeah, they I have agree. gotten worse. They had some good years in the Big Ten, but now they are a middling team in the Big Ten, if not worse than that. Say, and, the, and there's no clout there yeah. for me, so I understand that. Would you put Penn State in would, this list? I would put Penn State in there. I think okay, Penn, State Penn State has – I think they have historical relevance as well as they've shown that they are competing. I mean, we're only a few years removed from that Rose, the epic Rose Bowl game of them and USC with Trace McSorley and Sam Darnold going at it. They've had very successful years throughout their history. It, Penn State's a recognizable brand. And it carries more weight than Nebraska does right now. I think Michigan needs to be on this list oh, as Michigan, well. Michigan, Michigan for I, sure. I, I forgot about the team that has the most wins all time and in college are, football. Excuse me. Those are the only three Big Ten teams I have. I have Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State coming out of the Big Ten. Okay, so now we're halfway through it. we got eight teams in here. So Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Texas, Penn State, Michigan. Let's keep going. USC's got to be on the list. We've got USC on there as well, yes. And then Tennessee. I do have Tennessee on mine. Uh, really? I'm going to put them on the side for me. I don't, I don't I have, know. Right now, well, have, here's the thing. Right now with Tennessee, they, they've lost all clout, too. They're, if we say that Nebraska has lost clout, Tennessee has lost clout. I still think Tennessee holds a little bit more because there are years where Tennessee, even if they haven't succeeded, they've been preseason top tens, and they've carried a top ten ranking into the year. They've been ranked more than Nebraska has. Like When you think of Nebraska, you think of just nothing at this point. Like Nobody's out there doing anything, at least with Tennessee – They've been competing, they've been getting beat, but they have they've beaten Georgia. They beat Georgia every now and then. They've competed. They've been in competition with Alabama, where they had a couple of chances to actually beat them. They didn't. Still since 2006, since you know they've gotten over that Alabama hump. But I just think Tennessee carries a little bit more weight than Nebraska. They won a title more recently than Nebraska has. I think it carries. Like I think that carries. Georgia. Yeah, Georgia for sure. All right. So now some more SEC teams on this list. LSU. I've got LSU in mind. I think it carries. They're they're a bit of a fringe team because I don't know. Like I don't think it carries. Like I don't think it's like historically. You look at LSU. Even I've seen though they, a lot of lists leave LSU off. I I like over it. the day. I like LSU. I, in my list, I have them on my list, so I'd put them in. I'm going to table them on the side at the moment. That's it's a good one. They're to table. joining Tennessee and Nebraska as well. Auburn, I think, is on the list. I got I, Auburn. I put Auburn in because not only of their close proximity to Alabama and their rivalry, but also Auburn has won a national championship in the last 10 years. They have risen to a level of national prominence into, at least they're in the conversation, been to an SEC championship since 2017. They have they have beaten Alabama. They, I mean, Malzahn was 3-4 and four against Nick Saban until this past year when he lost. He went 3-5 and five against Nick Saban, so Auburn's at least been able to compete on the same field as Alabama. Look over the last 10 years, I think Auburn has inserted themselves into that conversation. So I, I would say Auburn as well. And, and I don't think you can break up the trio of Alabama and Georgia as well. And if you're going with the European soccer connection there, 
you're talking about the London teams. You're not going to break up Tottenham, Chelsea, and Arsenal. So, which is, I'm, I'm hoping both all, all of those clubs, all 12 of those, pull out in Europe and they don't stay in that Super League. I'm hoping that doesn't happen. But I've got four spots left, continuing down list of all-time wins. Um, Florida. I've got Florida in mind. I would say so in I'd terms say, of in terms of the last twenty years, and then they I've put got, themselves in that conversation. I put six SEC teams in mind, and I tried not to do SEC bias, but I, I just I couldn't leave off. Well, there's six English teams that like, broke out off, of all so. the ones that we just that we listed, and you tabled uh, LSU like with LSU, Tennessee, Florida, Auburn, Georgia, and Alabama. Like all of those teams, like I just I couldn't leave any of those teams out of here. All right, so I have three more. Sp- so I, I think we've reached your fifteen. Is that fifteen for you? Um, I think I'm missing. I think I'm missing one. Who's and the one team that you're missing? So this was the this was the the last one in, and I went a little bit of a different approach here because historically it's, it's not better be better than Nebraska. It's historically not. It historically it's not better than you put Nebraska. Texas A&M in. I did not put Texas A&M. I actually put Oregon in because they've been to two national championships recently. They are a national brand that people recognize. I think that brings in a lot, and plus you're getting Nike money, so. Like it, that's it, a good point. It makes sense that's for money. It makes sense for money. Like that was that kind of like swayed me because it's more, and that's not discrediting what they have done football wise because again they've been to two national championships. They just didn't win one. They have a Heisman Trophy winner within the past decade. They've they're in, people know Oregon, whether it's for their winning historical record or the fact that they are that Nike flashy school. That's a recognizable brand. It's more of a modern style brand, but I think they fit in this. And again, Nike money. No, that is that is an excellent point. Miami is somebody that we haven't talked about I, yet. I have the, there. I have a list of like all my little uh, iffy honor, teams. Yeah, honorable and, mentions. And, Miami's an honorable mention. Yeah, I've got a couple. I've got a few ACC teams: Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Miami, Florida State. Like they're some of the ones ah, sitting I on the outside. About FSU. Outside looking in, uh, Florida State. You can make the exact same argument for Florida State that you made for I think with Miami. Lost respect though. We're t- so I've got a group of yes. five teams that I've got to fill out two more spots. Okay. Because I've got 13 on. i got to fill two more spots. And I've got to fill it with some combination of two teams here out of these five. Nebraska, Tennessee, LSU, Miami, and Florida State. All of the I, – I, I'm, I'm for sure putting LSU in at 14 now. So now I've got to find one team out of these four. I'm putting LSU in because of their they, – they, look, they win more games out of all of these teams on a year-in yes. and year-out basis. They're more relevant than any of these teams. So they're at 14. Now 15 is where I'm having a hard time because all of these teams have lost clout. They've lost respect in the college football community. Nebraska, Tennessee, Miami, and Florida State. I'm definitely not taking Tennessee. Definitely not taking Tennessee because they are – they're a laughing. They're a laughing stock right now in college exactly. football. So I wouldn't take them. So then it's down between Nebraska, Miami, and Florida State. If I'm not taking Tennessee, then I probably shouldn't take Nebraska despite the historical re- relevance of the Nebraska football program. Probably shouldn't take them. Now you're asking me to choose between Miami and Florida State. I would take Florida. I would, uh, Miami's more relevant than Florida State at the moment. I agree. I mean, they're more relevant. I've, I, I have a hard time taking. Also, the Miami area. It's, talk about TV money, yeah. man. Bring in Miami. I'm, I'm yeah, putting Miami I from agree. an economic standpoint. It's, and it's also it's it's the U. Even when it's bad, it's still the U. Like let's be honest. Like that's that's a bring people in type of thing. So there's our college football super league. Just a little bit of a fun discussion there about what teams would we include on a list of fifteen. I still have in Tennessee, college football. I still have Tennessee over Miami because it's Tennessee, and I feel like it cares a little bit more. But I could, I can, I could see swapping them out for People Miami. People joke about Tennessee and trash cans in the same sentence, man. No such thing. At least as, they were. No such thing as bad publicity. <laughs> we also left off Liberty. I mean, Liberty no, and Hugh no, Freeze. No, I mean. No. 
Well, I mean, let's be honest. No. Yes. We wrap up the show on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Just a couple minutes left in the show here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Three minutes, we'll be getting out of here. And then at four, it'll be the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. They'll be taking your calls just like they do every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. Once again, you can hear them on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun show today. Talked a lot more about A-Day, some Auburn basketball as well, with Alan Flanagan announcing his decision to return to the Plains. What is Joe Lenardi thinking at the moment with having Auburn as an eight-seed? Auburn basketball right now not being given a whole lot of respect around the country in terms of, I'll be real, I was actually kind of shocked to see that Auburn was even included in the field of 68, though to be honest and that's not because of my own personal feelings about because the team you're, you're i think the to, teams yeah. yes I'm, I'm used to people being down yes. on auburn in especially basketball. basketball you're used to it and me and you both think that they are a preseason top 10 to 15 team in terms of talent in terms of but talent they won't be ranked there no not at all and i've had people so, anyway. trying to tell me that auburn will be ranked in the top 10 top 15 and the ap people and i'm like you give voters too much faith. Look, I mean, just look at what and just I happened. And I think a lot of folks also, there are also national media members out there who do not like the Auburn basketball program. They don't. They have a problem with it because they really don't like Bruce Pearl that much. That's fair. And they don't like some of the things that have came out recently about what's going on in college basketball. And Auburn was implicated in that. So They didn't seem to have a problem when Rick Pitino was at Louisville, though. Yeah, there, there seems to be a double standard. There I mean, does. You're right. A, there does seem to be a double seem like they have a problem with Coach Cal at Kentucky. Accurate. All that, accurate that, that statements. Was, yeah, I mean, it's They just, don't seem to have a problem with your team either. Hey, what do we do? Duke. What do we do? What, what are you talking about? Wasn't Zion Williamson included al- along with something back then, too? No comment. <laughs> I'm right, though, no, right? Nothing, I don't, I don't see, nothing happened. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, no allegations were uh, filed, you know? I am right, though. Yes, they, yeah. there was... There was, I was, there I was were, like, I'm not misremembering. No, there were rumblings about it, but nothing came of it because, I mean, we don't do anything wrong at Duke. <laughs> Ever. We just naturally get all the best athletes to come there on their own, you know, on their own will. Nothing nothing happens. But stuff has <laughs> happened all across college basketball. Tons of teams have been have been I pulled think, in. North Carolina's been pulled into stuff before. I think every, Oklahoma State every currently team, is I think pulled every into team. it. I think every USC, team does something wrong. Arizona, TCU. Kansas is in some hot water. We've already talked about Louisville. There's a lot of teams that have been pulled into this. I think every, into I, this. I think it's naive to. That's think, not me making not think, it. A, that's not me saying that it's okay. I'm I, not saying that it's okay. No, I think, I'm just saying I think that like I think it's. It. I think that there's been a bit of a double standard. I even forgot yeah. to mention LSU. I think there's just a bit of a double standard with the way that people talk about Auburn right now, and then maybe at least in the national media versus the way that they talk about some of the bigger brands. I think it's further. I think it's further an example that Auburn is still not. I, I've been saying this for for a little while. This isn't me talking bad about Auburn's program. Because I think Auburn's program has risen to a level of national prominence, or at least national ability, Not but I don't there. think that they are being received that way nationally Not by, yet. Other, yes. by other personalities. Yeah, and that's fair, because I think that's true. Auburn's still fighting for respect out there, and that's actually probably a good place for Auburn to be at, because it seems yes. like Auburn, in any sport, performs at their best when that's the case. That does it for another edition of Bond the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron following us. We'll see you tomorrow. Well, you know where to find us.